Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. Well, amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Today, we're, we're starting this series entitled Connect Gwinnett, talking about what is the church's role in the community and the community's role in the church, and most importantly, your role in the church and community. You see, we can't connect the dots in Gwinnett unless we connect the dots inside these walls. You see, I really believe that the framework of today's teaching, uh, first of all, limber up your fingers. I've got about 24 scripture references for you, okay? And they'll all be on the screen, but you may want to jot these down. If you'll send me an email, a text, a Facebook or something, I'll be happy to send you my, my teaching notes and you can have them or you can listen to the podcast uh, online tomorrow, but um, I, I want to make sure that you grasp and understand this, this concept of the church and our community and the community within our church. See, I really do believe God is all about community. I believe you can find it in his creation, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I believe it's in his desire for us, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I believe it's in his daily walk, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I believe it's in his leadership plan. There's Moses and Aaron, Moses and the elders, David's mighty men, Paul's team, even Jesus built a team. I mean, who on earth would pick a team that would have a tax collector and a zealot on the same team, knowing the zealot, his only reason for living was to kill a tax collector. And Jesus put them all together and said, okay, we're going to learn to work together. Do something for me. Swivel your head around and look at the people around you eye to eye. Go ahead. Look, I know it's odd. Go ahead. Just look around the people around you. Look around. You know what you see? Weird people. They're everywhere. I mean, everywhere you turn, they're strange people. Are they not? I mean, have you ever been walking down a hall and you just look at somebody and said, ooh? Has it ever occurred to you that walking down the same hall, somebody looked at you and went, ooh? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just different, aren't we? I mean, you know what's in this room? Conflict. It's everywhere. You see, we have this belief in the church that conflict isn't conflict until you speak it. But conflict is wherever you've got diverse people. You know, you see, you put us all together and go to Haiti to feed and build an orphanage. You know what we do? We'd go and we'd have a kumbaya youth camp experience. It'd be awesome. You bring that same group of people back, put them in a room, and somebody gives the church a million-dollar gift, and you save that same group of people. Now you got to decide how to spend it. You know what they did? Fight like cats and dogs. You know why? Because we know how to work together. We just know how to think together. Because when we think together, we have to learn to value God's diverse creation. I mean, we're just different, aren't we? I mean, we're just different kinds of people. Some of us are just odd, right? I mean, I know you're looking at me saying, Chuck, you're one of those people. I mean, I get it. But God made no mistake when he made the wonderful you and plopped you down here to be a part of this community. I mean, think about it. There's old Rob Goldsmith back here. Stand up, Rob. There's Rob. All right, now, now Rob, just stand up, Rob. Rob is not only pretty, but Rob is genuinely one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, Okay. Now, you couldn't find two people a lot more different than me and Rob. Is that fair, Rob? Yeah. So, but you know what's interesting? I've seen God do some very, very cool things through Rob's life that I would never even think about. And you know what that causes me to do? Watch this. It causes me to value Rob not only as a person, but as a creation that God made. And God looked at him and said, that's good. That's really good. 
And now watch this. And I value him and our diversity. And all of a sudden, God connects us in community. And what connects us is not our faults and our foibles and all of our quirkiness. What connects us is the presence of the Spirit of God. And you know what? Rob, I'm grateful I have that. And I think I'm a better man. Matter of fact, I know I'm a better man because of it. Now, listen, folks, you know what the good thing is? I could say the same, same thing about y'all. You know, you, you know what your pastor does? He loves you. I do. I, I love y'all. I thank you for letting us take a week and spend on the beach. Jenny has an uncle that let us stay at his place in Venice, Florida, just south of Sarasota. And we, I, I think we lived outdoors. We just had fun. And thank you for that. But you know what? Coming back today, I couldn't wait to be here. I couldn't wait to be with my church. I couldn't wait to be with folks that I love. I couldn't wait to to be with y'all. And even in all of our diversity, I love it. It's in his leadership plan, but it's also in his productivity plan. Exodus 18, 17, and 18, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You realize what Moses was doing? Moses would sit, and people would line up in the hundreds of thousands, and they would come, and they'd bring their problems to Moses, and Moses would tell them what to do. I mean, these people wouldn't go to the restroom without Moses telling them to go. And so he's working 100 hours a week, thinking he's going to get one big honking mansion in glory because he's working so hard. And Paul-in-law shows up and looks at him and says, Moses, this thing you're doing is not good. Oh, thank you for that. He says, you and these people are only going to wear yourselves out. You know, listen, the lesson here is this. God didn't build any one of us to be Lone Ranger believers. We need one another. And by the way, we need the diversity in his creation. He made no mistake when he made the wonderful you. And we need you. And we need to learn to live together. You see, Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Leviticus 26.8. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemy shall fall before you by the sword. Ecclesiastes 4.12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You see, the church, this church, is to be a powerful and loving presence in this community. I believe we're to be interdependent parts. Now, you you know what the definition of interdependent is, right? It's the opposite of independent. Independent says, I got this, I can do this, I'm on my own, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's a Rambo mentality. Interdependent says, I need you and you need me so that we might walk across the finish line together. The best picture I've ever seen of this was several years ago uh, at the Special Olympics. All those little boys and girls lined up to run the 100-meter dash, and, they, and the gun went off, and away they went. And about 30 meters in, a little rotund boy with Down syndrome in lane number three stumbled and fell. And when he fell, he took out the runner in lane two and the runner in lane four, and the two, three of them just stumbled and fell. There were eight lanes, five other runners still going. If we were those five, you know what I'd be saying? Yes. All five of them stopped in their run, came back, helped up those three kids, and they walked across the finish line arm in arm. You know why? Because none of them could could succeed. You know what? It's been a million dollars in my eyes and my mouth messes up. (laughs) None of them could succeed until all of them succeeded. You know what they understood? Nobody's done until everybody's done. You know what they understood? It's not my job. It's not your job. It's my part of our job. You see, you look at that and you say, God made no mistake when he plopped us down here. We're to be interdependent parts that are synergistically related. Now, you know synergy, right? I mean, synergy, one plus one equals three. I mean, you, two can do more than one. I mean, together we're better, together we're stronger. You get all that, right? Yeah, okay. So, so let's say, hey, Norman, stand up. This is Norman Quadra, all right? He's, he's my friend. Norman's a great guy, all right? Now, Norman, 
I love you, buddy. You're just a good guy. I like our friendship, all right? But you know what's interesting? You are smarter than me. I think we've proven that scientifically every week. You know, the good news is me and you together are smarter than you. But do you know why? Because it's based on value. You see, one plus one might equal three, but now watch this. What if me and Norman were to base one plus one equaling three? What if we were to base that and triangulate it through the power of the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden, Norman and I together wasn't one plus one equals three. It was one plus one could equal three million. Because in the power of God and the value of his creation, all of a sudden, the impossible can happen. You know what I want to do? Thank you, Norman. You know what I want to do? I absolutely positively want to be a part of a church who's not afraid of the supernatural power of God. I don't want to run from it. I want to look for it. I want to know it. You know what? You go camping and you look for snakes. You know what you find? Snakes. You know what I want to do? I want to look for the supernatural power of God. And when it shows up, I want to go, yes, he is here. Look at what he's done. And that happens when we learn to value one another and work together for his purpose and think together his way. We are interdependent parts that are synergistically related and biblically directed. Listen, you know what? This is our authority right here. Our authority is not what the latest, hippest, coolest church is doing. This is our authority. Our authority is not to, to lick our finger and put it up in the wind and see what the silent majority doesn't say and the vocal minority does say. You know what our job is? Is to do what this says. We're to be biblically directed and then we should be spiritually empowered. Let's be a place that welcomes the Spirit of God to come in here and do something that we can't explain, to do something extraordinary in our midst. See, people every week come to know Jesus personally. That's why we stay as a church. You know what we want to do? We, we, we want to be driven by this book, believing it's true cover to cover. We want to honor Jesus. We want to serve people. You see, our convictions about the church, this church, come from the Bible. It's our source of authority for what we do. And if you understand these convictions, you're, you'll understand these three things. Ready? Number one, you'll understand why we do what we do in this church. And it may, and it may not be what you like, but, but you'll understand why we do it. Number two, you'll understand why we will be and are at times criticized for it. And number three, you'll understand the standard that we use for making decisions about the church. You see, decisions aren't made on a whim. They're made on this. This is the standard. Well, I look at that and you say, well, Chuck, help me out with this. Okay, let me give you three truths. You ready? Truth number one, Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. I'm absolutely convinced without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves this church church. In fact, here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, that's pretty good right there, man. That's pretty clear. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, we like to put a period there, but there's not a period there. And gave himself up for her. If you're one of those people that doesn't mind underlining or circling in your Bible, circle gave himself for her. You know, often we say, Jesus died for my sin. He died for me. And he did. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says that Christ died, sacrificed himself, gave himself for who? The church. And that's how important Jesus considers his church. Jesus loves his church. Now, let me start connecting the dots so we can connect Gwinnett. You ready? So watch this. 
if I love Jesus, I'll love his church. If I love his church, I will serve him through his church, which means I will reach people in his community. And when that circle has a flat in it somewhere, what do you do with a flat tire? You change it. You know, you don't, you don't look at a flat tire and say, well, how about that? That's a flat tire. Now, now you could do it George Power style. You could have a crew of nine men and one dude with a wrench all telling him how to turn the wrench. But you know, you, you change the tire. You see, because something's broken. And so the church, he longs for us to be in love with him because that will in turn be a church in love with one another. John, uh, 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So again, circle us, and then let me ask you a question. Who is us? Us is the church. We are the church. Jesus laid down his life for us. Tall ones, short ones, thin ones, fat ones. Jesus loves his church, and church is people, and the church is us. Now, here's a statement that's certain to rattle some of you today, and so let me just be an equal opportunity offender across the board, all right? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, and you proclaim that you love Jesus, but you don't feel the need to be involved in the church, in discipleship and in fellowship, then let me make this statement. You are an immature, self-focused person. Ouch. You say, well, Chuck, I didn't come here to be insulted. You know what? You're in plenty of good company. I've been there too. You look around this room again, you'll see a lot of people have been there too. You know what I found living for Jesus like playing Mother May I? Some days I take three steps toward him and some days I take a step backward. Don't you live like that? You know what the goal is every day that I move a little closer to Jesus? Every day I keep moving a little closer to Jesus. Every day I take a step closer to Jesus. I see that and I think to myself, you know what? I don't want to be self-focused. I want to be Jesus-focused. I don't want to be self-centered. I want to be Jesus-centered. I don't want to be, I don't want to be self-adorned. I want to be Jesus-adorned. You know what I want? I want Jesus to look at our church. I want Jesus to look at me. I want Jesus to look at you. And I want him to say, that's good. That's good. Personally, I want to be a part of Jesus. That means I've got to be where Jesus is. I've got to be involved in what he's involved in. You look at this next verse and tell me what Jesus is involved in. In Matthew 16, 18, here's, and here's, here's what he says. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what Jesus says? There's nothing that's going to happen to my church. That's my bride. That's who I love. I've got you. You know what? Why would you not want to be a part of that? According to this verse, I understand that Jesus is actively involved in building his church. He's bringing them, up, bringing them up. He's building them up. He's training them up. And then he's sending them out. I mean, this church doesn't exist so we can get bigger. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody and his brother's welcome. I'm fine if we have 20,000. I don't care. But I'm also fine if we've got, we got 2,000. I'm fine if we got 1,000. Numbers aren't what drive us around here. Let me tell you, the motivating factor is this. How many of us come in here to be encouraged and blessed and equipped so that we can go out there and live like it? Okay, let me try that again. We ought to come in here so we can be encouraged and blessed and worship 
the God who sent his son to save us and give us the spirit to hold us so that we might be equipped as saints to go out there and live like it. Okay, let me try that one more time. We ought to come in here so we can be an encouragement and be blessed and be equipped as the saints worshiping and enduring the God who sent his son to save us, leave the spirit to hold us and go out there and live like it. Well, we're getting there. So, so, so what, what is the church? Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So after all that, what's the Waterford crystal clear truth about this? Jesus loves his church. No doubt about that. But the second truth is this, Jesus loves unity in his church. You know what I've realized? No family's perfect. Every family I know is dysfunctional in some way. I mean, isn't yours? I mean, if, if, if Jenny and I came to your house and you didn't pick anything up and you didn't try to play nice, would we look at you and go, whoa. I'm telling you, you come to my house this afternoon and you don't tell us you're coming so we can't try to make pretty, you're going to walk in the house and you know what you're going to think? Whoa. <laughs> look at the pastor. <laughs> yeah. Every functional, every, every family is a little dysfunctional. I mean, e- even Ron Davidson's family is dysfunctional in some way. I know stuff about Barbara that you just can't imagine. Oh, it's ugly. It's ugly. But now, now watch this, though. I've learned this. But you know what I've learned about family? They stick up for one another. You know, my kids aren't perfect. As a matter of fact, I'd say my kids at times are hellions. But I'll tell you what, you mess with one of those six kids, you've messed with the wrong kid. Right? All right, you, you, you see that, that lady right over there, Jenny? Listen, you mess with her, you've messed with the wrong lady. Okay, you've, you've messed with my family. You've messed with my, you've, you've messed with my sweetheart, and you've messed with my, yeah, you have messed with the wrong people. Isn't that the way you feel? They may not be perfect, and I can tell you how weird they are, but don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with, you know, family looks out for one another. You, you know what family doesn't do? Family doesn't run into another person in, in Walmart and say, I'll tell you what I hear. I'll tell you what I don't like. I'll tell you what I don't give. I don't... Let, me, let me just give you this thought. Okay, if you're in the yeah, yeah crowd, stop. Or go yeah, yeah about the Presbyterians, either one. You pick. All right? I mean, I'm cool about yeah, yeah about the Presbyterians. All right, I'd love them too. The other day, I was, I was on the phone with a churchman in Kentucky. I mean, he's one of the godliest guys I know, one of the nicest guys I know, just, just broken about the disunity and the, and, the, and the fight going on in his church. And pastor against people and people against pastor and different sides of people fussing and fighting. And man, I, I'm so grateful we don't have that mess here. But I, I was broken. I was broken for him. I was broken for his church. But you know who I was really broken for? I was broken for the community and how they see that church. Maya Angelou once said, when people show you who they are, believe them. When a church shows their community who they are, people believe them. So let me ask you a question. When, when people see you, what do they believe? When they see you as a part of Sugar Hill Church, what do they believe? When they see you as part of the kingdom of God, what do they believe? Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.10. And I'm going to read it from the message because it's so crystal clear. He says, I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. 
using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. You know what I've learned? We tend to never pray about the people we gossip about, and we tend to gossip about people we never pray about. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I, 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 I've, never, I, I've, I've never seen a gossip go on a mission trip. Because we're, they're, they're busy yakking about something they don't know what they're talking about. So let, let me just be clear here. At times in a church, what happens is somebody, meaning well, will come to me and say, you know, I talked to so-and-so and they had a real concern. And you know what I'm going to say if you bring that to me? I'm going to say, well, who was that? And they say, well, I'd rather not say. And then you know what I'm going to say? Then I don't really need to hear it. That's, that's like sending me a letter and not signing it. I just just file, shredder, done. You know why? Because the family talk to one another. Sometimes when they talk, it's not pretty. I mean, Jenny and I talk sometimes loudly. Y'all ever do that in your house? Do you know she always wins? Is that right, Jen? Yeah, she always wins. You know why? She's smarter, prettier. I mean, she, what am I going to do? It's like, sure, I give, I quit, right? But you know what? You do not have a perfect pastor. Matter of fact, you've got probably the most unperfect pastor on the planet. I mean, there's, there's not an ounce of me that's worthy to be here, not one ounce. It's by the grace of God that I get to hear and by your graciousness that I get to stay. And I want to tell you, I love you and I'm grateful for it. But when we have a problem, just come tell me. Okay, I promise you, I'll I may not agree with you, but, but I promise you, I'll receive it in love because that's what family does. Are you with me? Not, not your head. Some of y'all, I've lost you. I stopped screaming and I lost you. All right. But, but that's what family does. Matter of fact, Paul, Paul makes this incredible statement. He, he, he says, you need to be considered one or cultivate a life in common. Jesus loves unity. In John 17, Jesus prays this prayer. And the theme of the prayer is unity. John 17, 21, Jesus prayed that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. Listen, if you're not choosing to grow in Christ, love and serve his church and care for his love, his community, what do people know about you? Well, let me, let me, let me answer that for all of us here today. It says that we aren't being discipled. We're not being matured in our faith, which causes a severe case of gossip, ungodly thoughts, and disunity. Dear church, watch out for those who would cause disunity. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 16, 17, give them a wide berth. Just stay away. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus loves unity. But truth number three, Jesus loves faithfulness. Governments don't last. Nations don't last. Businesses don't last. The Roman Empire is gone. The Berlin Wall has fallen. The Soviet Union is gone. But Jesus has said and Jesus has proven that his church will not fall. What did he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The entire universe was created for God's family. What is family? What is his family called? The church. Ephesians 3.10 in the message says, through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Can you imagine while you're here worshiping, the angels are looking at you saying, go Sugar Hill Church, go! Go Sugar Hill Church, go! 
I want this church to be healthy, thriving, growing, a place where God is worshiped freely, where we have real heartfelt fellowship with one another, where people are growing in their understanding of scriptures, where they're using their spiritual gifts and God-given abilities to the glory of God, where members are so excited about the relationship with Jesus, they tell everyone out there about it. Matter of fact, if you've got a smartphone with you, I encourage you between now and when we finish this last song, pull it out and take a picture and post it on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or whatever you do. You know what we do? We go to restaurants and take selfies in front of signs and post them. We go to the beach and we post signs about it. And we come to church and we never tell the world, I love my church. And some of you are saying, well, that's just inappropriate. Take a cell phone out and take a picture in church. Well, just get over it. I mean, why not tell the, why not tell your world? Why not tell those 400 people you think are friends on Facebook you love your church? Why not tell that, 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 that world out there in Twittersphere? I love my church. Why not take an Instagram pic and say, I, thank, I saw that flash. Tell them, I love my church. It boils down to these four questions. You ready? By the way, if you want to send me an email, I'll send you these four. Number one, do we have the courage to transition from a church that says, come in here, to a church that says, we're going to go and show. Are, are, are we a church that will look at this and transition from the statement, we love the sinner and hate the sin, to a church that loves the sinner and we hate our own sin? Are we going to be a church to transition from us versus them to us together for him? And the last one, when are we going to be a church that transitions from sacred traditions to simply Jesus? Just Jesus. So you say, Chuck, was today a pep talk or a Bible teaching? Yes, it was. Let's be that church that we talk about with joy and excitement wherever we go. Let's be that church that sees people coming to know Jesus every week. Let's be that church that makes discipleship our passion and to grow in our faith. Let's be that church that serves people in need without hesitation. And let's be that church that sees each other and our community through the loving eyes of Jesus. And why should we do that? Because our God is greater, our God is stronger, more than anything this world offers. That is why we should. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Our God is stronger, our God is greater than anything this world offers. And so today we come to not only hear that, know that, understand that, but in unity, Lift our hands, our voices, and our hearts to you to let you know we really believe you are greater. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.